0: Hi everyone and welcome to today's episode of the Business Success and Coffee podcast. Today I'm joined by Jared Speedwack, who is an international speaker and founder who helps service and SaaS businesses scale by turning clicks to cash, little trademark at the end of that. At just 14 years old, Jared took his first steps in the business world, earning money needed to attend college. After graduating, Jared spent a year working in corporate America and two with a digital marketing agency before launching his first iteration of Comet Fuel at the age of 20. Annoyed by traditional agencies promising the moon, but only delivering stardust, Jared saw a clear need for a digital agency that provided transparency and a results oriented approach. For that reason, Comet Fuel offers each and every client a 200% money back guarantee. How's that for results oriented? Comet Fuel has helped their clients turn $40 million plus into revenue of $250 million plus. One could say that things are going all right for them. When he's not busy making his clients wildly successful, Jared can be found cooking, watching way too much YouTube, allegedly, so somebody else says, and working on creative efforts that will never see the light of the day. So uh, yeah, creative efforts. Welcome to today's podcast, Jared.
1: Yeah, thank you so much for having me, Simon.
0: So I've, I've got to ask the, the question, first of all, before we get talking about coffee, tea and what we're drinking, clicks to cash, you know, that that trademark, is is this uh, a product, is this a service? Give me a little bit of the backstory behind that before we get started.
1: Yeah, so it's a really good question. We, one of the challenges that we found when working with service-based and SaaS businesses, specifically SaaS businesses who require yeah. demos uh, to, to sell, is there is this big disconnect between lead data and sales data. And when I would get on a call with somebody, I would say, uh, how much money did you spend on Google ads last month, which is the marketing channel that we specialize in. And everybody could answer that question pretty straightforward. They look at their account they're like, uh, you know, 5,000, 50,000, 500,000, whatever that number is. Yeah. Okay, great. And how much revenue did that drive for you? And all of a sudden, uh, I get a bunch of different answers that usually result in, I don't know and so the challenge is that you know how many people have called you filled out a form you know signed up for a demo perhaps but then making sure you understand which of those people became customers how much those customers paid you how much those customers are planned to be worth and understanding actually, how much money did you spend? How much money did you make? And is the ratio between the two acceptable uh, was something that a lot of uh, businesses couldn't answer. So we started to adapt our services to be, uh, I guess you could call it a more managed service, where there's a component sure. of us building our own internal SaaS tools to help do what some of the stuff that we do, doing some of the more traditional uh, Google Ads agency type stuff that you'd expect, and also working with our clients, not just doing everything for them to go, what are the systems that you have in your business that allow you to to track how well you're doing from a marketing and sales perspective and how can we integrate all of that so that your marketing and your sales work together and that we can have better educated conversations, not about how many conversions you got, but about how much money you actually made.
0: Yeah, and I, you know, I hear a lot of people use the phrase vanity metrics, you know, and I was talking to a client the other day and they, they were saying, oh yeah, my, my Facebook ads have done really well, I've had so much reach, I've had so many likes and shares. And it's the same thing, isn't it? On all of these different platforms, you know, how much business has this actually generated for you through that input? And it's not just the input of expense, is it? it's the input of time as well, because there's a lot of time goes into this for the business and for the likes of you as well, isn't it? There's a lot of investment into that for not knowing what the outcome actually is.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's a time and a place for for vanity metrics, depending on what you're doing. Uh, personally, I think that if you're creating content, it takes you years to be able to like, as I'm sure you know, it takes a mm. long time, you're gonna create a lot of content before anybody wants to even listen to what it is that you have to say. And so if you're only paying a revenue, paying attention to revenue, when you're yeah. you know creating a, a podcast, writing blog posts for SEO, or what have you, uh, you're gonna be really disappointed for a long time. So I think yes. in those instances, it can be okay to look at things like Oh, how many people watch how many people like, am I getting comments? You know, are people engaging with this? Do people yeah, yeah. Uh, like what I'm producing? Uh, but then at a certain point, as you build up, and you have the ability to measure, uh, that stuff starts to matter a lot less. Uh, now, if you're doing something that's more uh, direct response, or per- what's called performance based marketing, such as paid advertising, uh, who cares about your clicks, impressions, what have you, from day sure. one, you can start tracking conversions, leads, sales, etc. Yeah,
0: yeah, and I think that's a, very, a really, really important distinction. So let's get back to what we're drinking today. Now, actually, because I saw your message, Jared, I'm drinking tea as well. So listeners, I know this is a coffee podcast, but today I've just had way too much coffee. So I'm I'm down on the tea Uh, and I've just got a Yorkshire based English breakfast tea with milk, no sugar. That's how I take it. But it's in my same sort of large uh, pint mug. Tell us a little bit about what you're drinking, Jared, and why
1: yeah so I can be a little bit pretentious when it comes to it comes to my tea because I don't I don't like coffee uh, So what I'm drinking today is a Japanese Sencha which is a green tea uh, oh, specifically okay. loose leaf There's a really big difference I've gotten the same tea in, in, a, um, in a tea bag and then loose leaf and tried them basically at the same time there's a world of difference so my go-to is a loose leaf uh, Japanese Sencha and then uh, I even travel with it so if I'm going somewhere else I will right. create my own tea bags with it and then'll yeah. I'll travel with that.
0: So when you say there's a difference between loose leaf tea, because, you know, certainly here in the UK, everything now comes in a bag. We even put coffee in bags. You know, it's just ridiculous. But, um, you know, I remember my grandparents, everything was loose leaf when it came to tea. Uh, and I, I always remember as a, as a child picking the little bits of leaf out of my teeth that got through the strainer because, you know, there's always something that escapes through what is that difference then is it more of a distinctive flavor is it a changing flavor is you know what what is it that you feel is so different between the two
1: yeah so i guess the best comparison i could make is when you when you buy let's say uh, a frozen meal and then you yeah. make that same exact meal from scratch uh even though it's the same ingredients just the the amount of freshness i, I guess plays a big difference and it, it tastes i guess you could say more full-bodied if that's a word i can i can use yeah, properly yeah. Uh, it, it just it, it has a distinctly different uh taste and 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 feel where the the, the bag stuff just feels too like watered down and almost like it's yeah. been sitting there for a while yeah
0: yeah yeah and the word i would use you know, I, I remember the frozen dinners yeah, uh, I used to have when my my dad was working shifts and it was bland yeah it was it was uh, everything was there as you say all the ingredients there but there was a distinct lack of taste there was a blandness about it that yeah so I think that's a good example good example so you launched Comic Fuel at, at the age of 20 and um, tell us what has been the latest or most significant thing that you've been working on in your own business
1: yeah, so something that's been really interesting is in in 2018, when we started, we originally called Blue Dog Media, and we started as an SEO company, not an ad company. And to give you kind of the long story short, uh, growth was very inconsistent. It was kind of up and down. We started to transition over to an ad agency because we just simply realized uh, our clients were asking us to run their ads for them. We said, no, that's not what we do. They said, pretty pleased. We don't like who's doing our ads right now. Mm-hmm. We lamented, said, sure, we'll give it a go. All of a sudden, we started noticing that we were helping our clients make more money faster through ads than we were with SEO. And our, ult- our ultimate goal is not to be a company that does SEO, Google ads, what have you, our ultimate goal is to help our clients make more money. So if that's what's gonna help our clients make more money, that's what we're gonna focus on. So in 2020 through 2021, we started to transition from SEO to just uh, Google ads. And throughout that process, uh, we were helping our clients make a lot more money, but our own business wasn't really growing as fast as I thought it would. Like, wow, we're getting way better results than we were before. We have even way more leads contacting us revenue is kind of not really moving uh, all that much right. what's going on here and i had this realization that uh i was solving problems in the business you know people are complaining about this this process is broken we don't have a process for that what have you and it wasn't making that big of a difference because it turns out that just because something is a problem doesn't mean that it's a problem worth solving uh, there are mm-hmm. going to be an endless number of problems in your business every single day It's going to happen. My own personal to do list is about 10,000 items. That's not really much of a joke. It's every single week it goes up by at least 100. So we needed some sort of way to prioritize things. And the idea slash stolen idea, whatever you want to call it, I got from a guy named Michael Seibel, who's the uh, he's a managing director over at Y Combinator, uh, one of the original founders of Twitch, if you're familiar with that platform now by Amazon. And uh, he was explaining this process, like, they had multiple founders, everything's kind of a, an, an argument, a struggle, what have you. Yeah. And what, what I started to develop was a system that made the own growth of our business really, really easy, where we're hitting all of our quarterly goals without too much effort could be a testament to not setting aggressive enough goals, I understand mm-hmm. that. Uh, but what we started to do was map out what matters what is a bus- what is a business it is revenue and profit that's it regardless of what kind of business you're in those are the two numbers how much money do you make and how much money do you keep once you make that money okay great so let's start there now let's map out every single metric that determines how we how much money we make you know how much do our cl- how many clients do we have how much do they pay us uh, on average you know, on average what do they pay us how many new opportunities do we have what's our close yeah. rate you know ev- all these sorts of stats, just building massive kind of business intelligence dashboards, and now when we sit down and we go, how do we go from X to Y? We have tons of different data points, or, or we'll build out more data points to go. What is the path of least resistance to getting there? And what we started to find was, yes, could we make more money by getting more clients, charging our clients more, by adding in new product services, what have you? But when there are fifty different options, let's before we do any of that way how much effort is going to take to achieve to improve from x to y particular metric and focus on the path of least resistance in the first quarter we implemented this we hit our quarterly growth goals in under 30 days because i went oh the thing that i needed to do was the scary thing i just didn't do it because it was scary but when i sat down and went oh the number one thing we can do to hit our revenue goal today is to go to our clients who we have been working with for four or five years who we charge them uh like 25% 25% of what we currently charge our current clients. And we also do only half of the work because we can't afford to do everything we do to these clients that don't pay us sure. a whole lot and say, hey, we've worked together. Here are the stats that we've gotten. This is what we charge people nowadays. Like the reality is that we're more expensive now. And, you know, that's just what it is. And that was really scary. What if everybody says no? What if everybody fires off? What if they're angry at us? Yeah. Always all I had to do is send, exactly. And all I had to do was send five emails. Two said, "Yeah, sure, no problem." One said, "I'll pay you more." You know, I wish I didn't have to, but you know, that's that's how the world works. Uh, yeah. One said, "Hey, this probably isn't a good fit for us anymore." No harm, no foul. Uh, and another one, we said, they said, "Yes, we'll pay you more, but only if you hit this specific goal." And so, all of a sudden, that scary thing that I've been lamenting to do for over a year—we it's been on the to-do for well over a year—to you know, to charge our legacy yeah. clients more money because you know we just don't charge that anymore. We sent those five scary emails. You know, we got one bad response. We got four positive responses. And within 30 days, we hit our entire quarterly goals. I had no stress for that entire quarter. And I got to do whatever I wanted to because we already hit our goals.
0: Yeah. And I'm sure many people listening to this are thinking, yeah, that's that's easier said than, than done. And, mm-hmm. you know, that, that's okay for you. But if we lost two clients, that would be devastating to us. You yeah, there are so many people who give a reason why not to do it. What would you say to to those people? What was that moment in where you said, you know, I've just got to go beyond scary? Because that's where a lot of people get paralyzed will weren't they? That's where a lot of people won't send those five emails. What if four say, no, we're not doing this? What if two say it? Because, you know, what was that moment like? And what would you share to those people that would be paralysed by that kind of moment?
1: It was turning my feelings into data that I could use to be informed by. And I use the term data-informed as opposed to data-driven uh, because you can make a lot of bad decisions if you only pay attention to data. And so data-informed means I'm using data as uh, part of my answer, but it's not the only thing that I'm considering. So when we sat down and we said our goal is to increase our revenue from X to Y, let's say from 50000 a month to 80000 a month, how are we going to do that? I then wrote down what is everything that we could do to achieve that. How many clients do we have how many new opportunities do we have what do we charge our clients so on and so forth i then sat down and went okay in order to hit this goal how would we have to improve all these metrics okay if we were to based on how much we charge our clients on average we need to take on this many more clients Okay, that's a problem. We can't handle that many more clients without hiring at least three more people. Yep. We're because at that point we're going to need several people in management positions, and then that's also probably going to take at least three to six months to make sure that those people are trained, that they're going to be a good fit for the company, that they're going to end up working out in the long term. So, solving my problem this way is going to take at least six plus months on the charging scale, oh, it's gonna be easy to do that. That's just scary. And so I just went down that list and went, okay, what is the path of least resistance? And then from there, all I had to do was weigh my options. This is where the data informed side of things come in, which is what if they all say no? Okay, that's why I sent five emails and not 15. Because if the all yeah. five at first said no, okay, great. I'm going to strategically choose what five are getting that first email. Gotcha. Uh, because those are the ones that if they do churn, yeah, I'm not going to be happy about it, but I'm not going to be risking my entire business on it as well. And so yeah. it's just a matter of the path of least resistance and then uh, making sure that it's a good decision. What is the worst that could happen? How can I reduce my overall risk. If there's 10, I need to increase the pricing on. Maybe I'll start with four, see how their reaction is. If it's really yeah. bad, maybe I'll adjust how I'm offering it. Maybe I'll throw in like, hey, we're going to increase to this much, but because you're a good client, we're going to give you a bit of a discount. Maybe that'll work. And I just go through that process. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I understand that. And, and I think that's a good explanation that'll give the risk something to think about because it's not about just leaping off the cliff and grabbing everything and taking it with you. It's yeah. Making that informed decision and and taking the steps so I mentioned in your in your bio that I read out uh, that every client gets a 200% money back guarantee uh, and that's definitely results orientated definitely so from a point of view of guarantees this is something that a lot of people have talked about in the past a lot of people ask me about you know I'm a big fan of guarantees because it reduces risk when people are making a buying is But again, it's a scary thing. What if everybody asks, I've had a guarantee for 15 years. I've never had one single client ask me to invoke the guarantee. But I've invoked that guarantee two or three times myself, because I live by my my values. How has that money back guarantee and that promise of 200% worked out for you? Then, what kind of difference has that made to your business? And are there any Guarantee insights that you can share with the listeners today.
1: Yeah, so I agree with you in that. I think every business should have a guarantee. And I think every business can have a guarantee. Uh, And and I'll explain kind of my thought process behind it. But for us specifically, we're, we're in an industry where you hear very commonly like if you if you google like can a marketing agency guarantee something you'll see every single article that says no they can't and if they do run away they're trying to screw you somehow etc and here's the reality like what i can't guarantee is that you're going to be able to spend X and make Y. Nobody can guarantee that, because no. that's a lot of out of my control. You know, if I send you 100 leads and you never answer the phone, you're not gonna make any money. Nothing Correct. I can do about that. And so uh, we're careful in what we say we can and cannot guarantee. We can guarantee what we control, absolutely. After that, it's a little bit harder <laughs> because you know there's a yep. lot more factors. And so part of that was just being strategic about, okay, what is it that we can guarantee? How can we guarantee it? And for me, putting that 200% uh, was kind of like, um, yeah uh, you know to, to to keep the podcast clean a bit cheeky uh, especially yeah. when everyone's <laughs> like oh you can't even you know you can't guarantee anything i'm like cool well how about this 200 percent, and then i can also claim we're the only agency in the world, as far as I know, that has a 200% money-back guarantee. I'm sure some have some sort of other you know, money-back yeah. guarantee somehow, but I could be fairly confident there. So it's a, it's a point that we can put in our marketing and sales material that makes a very clear differentiator because when somebody's looking at something, they're considering how much value am I going to get out of this? How long is it going to take me to get that value? How much risk am I taking on yeah. to in order to get that value? And how much time and effort is going to take me to actually achieve that? Well, I already mentioned time twice there. And so uh like you said it helps reduce overall risk in terms of how anybody can uh have a guarantee it's all about uh, i could just say uh, stacking the deck in your favor almost in that you have control you get to choose what you have confidence in your ability to guarantee you don't have to guarantee someone the world if you can't give them the world but if you say i'm willing to uh you know, let, let's choose uh, of random business type, let's say that you are a, uh, a, a consultant that helps people um, optimize the SOPs in their business. And yeah. you have uh, potentially some sort of guarantee, which I would recommend, you know, creating a bunch of different ideas, working through, you know, which one seems possible. Yeah. And you guarantee that you can help a business through creating better processes and systems, uh, increase their uh, profit margin by, 50%. So they're at 10%, they'll go to 15, uh, You know, not you know 10 yeah, to yeah. 60, but yeah, yeah. At 10 to 15. Mm-hmm. So, okay, great. Now that's really hard to do if you work with everybody. Not everybody is p- possible to increase your margins that bit. But if you go, okay, great. Well, what kind of businesses can we achieve that result for? They're making between X and Y revenue, because if they're making too much revenue, it's going to be a lot harder yeah. to get that big of a profitability increase if they're not making enough revenue things are going to be way too chaotic and they're not going to be able to have good systems okay great so they're between two and five million now what industries well can i do this for every industry maybe maybe not uh maybe there are you know if you're working with an airline uh their margins are like one two percent if you make any sort of progress on their bottom line that's insane yeah. uh but if you're working with uh let's say i'll just use a. Uh, I don't know, like a service based business and you're like, Oh, I'm working with service based businesses that are between one and 5 million in these niches. And I understand that most businesses in these niches are not as profitable as they easily could be due to bad systems and processes. I have now stacked the deck in my favor because I know that I have a way higher probability of achieving this goal for those people. Now, if I just said, Hey, I can help any business achieve this result with a guarantee that might be way, way, way too risky for you to ever guarantee anything. So you just need to stack the deck in your favor.
0: Yeah. And I, I think, uh, in all my years of, of business, Jared, uh, I've never heard anybody mention a guarantee in that way, where stacking the guarantee in your favour. And some people say, well, that's, that's cheating, but it's not. It's just being smart. And it's actually delivering on the promise. You know, Like you said in the beginning, in the, in the bio, promise the moon, but delivering Stardust. You know, if I can promise the moon and deliver the moon, then that's going to be something that's going to help me grow my business. It's going to satisfy my clients' needs, and it's it's a win win, isn't it, for everybody? So delivering a guarantee that is done in the way that you've just said there, I think is is absolute, yeah, golden. Yeah, thank thanks for sharing that because I think that's that's so important that people will have heard through that. I've got to ask a question. Um, you mentioned also that you watch way too much youtube uh, and you know you obviously your specialism is in clicks to cash uh, etc um, i'm intrigued as one what you watch on youtube and uh, again let's keep it clean but um, from a point of view of youtube is there anything that you see in in youtube in the watching of it uh, and the way that you consume YouTube that resonates with the way that you do your business as well. You know, do you get business tips from YouTube? You know, do you see any commonality between the type of people you work with and YouTube? Just how how does that sort of connect, or does it not connect at all?
1: So one of the well, actually, let me go further back. I grew up on YouTube, I think YouTube was 2008 2009. Uh, So that was that was when I was in middle school. This is around the same time that, you know, yeah, I guess, you know, going back, you know, we had uh, a lot of people still had family computers at the time, some people had individual computers. But when we went to friends houses, we just sat around and we watched YouTube on the computer. When uh, when people came to my house, like we sat around and we watched YouTube, we shared YouTube links. Uh, So it was a lot of silly, dumb content of like skits people were putting out there if anyone's familiar with like a really, really early days of YouTube, nobody was making money, it was just fun. And that was like one of my main sources of entertainment. I've never been massive on movies and and TVs. I'll watch them. There are, you know, tons of things I like about them. But uh, it's hard to get me to sit down and watch uh, a movie. Uh, But it's really easy to get me to sit down and watch like four hours of YouTube. Uh, It's even funnier when I will sit there and watch three hours of an analysis of a movie. But I won't sit down and watch the ninety-minute movie. Uh, <laughs> yes, yeah, I so understand. Yeah, I, all types of content. But how that started to evolve is, uh, you know, like you mentioned earlier, I got my start really, uh, I got started very early. I was fourteen at the time. Nobody's going to hire a fourteen-year-old. Uh, I can't afford any sort of like courses or formal training or any sort of online learning platform or what have you. But YouTube was free, and so if I wanted to know how to yeah. do something. I went to YouTube and I found that I could get a lot of answers when I was starting my own company and I didn't understand things like, oh, like, how do you get clients? What is uh, what is EBITDA? What is what are all these things? Uh, I would get really confused, like reading. Oh, like, here's a 3000 word article. I don't really want to sit down and read that, but I can watch a 10, 15, 20 minute video on that topic. And I just found that so much of what I wanted to learn, uh, YouTube was a great stepping stone uh, from you know, business to marketing to sales to kind of any other topic. And then, of course, there's the entertainment side. Uh, you know, Comedians that I like watching on there, especially yeah. international, where you know you can't get it on TV. Uh, we, we like uh, British Taskmaster. We watch on YouTube from everybody who pirates it because yeah. we can't get it over here, uh, things like that. So I'm on YouTube. It's always playing in the background, you know, m- no matter what yeah. I'm doing. <laughs>
0: And it's interesting uh, you you say there about, you know, finding out things because, you know, I find YouTube uh, two things. Yeah, I'm with you. I I like the I I watch movie trailers more on YouTube than I do the movies, because then I'll decide if I want to watch the movie or not from the trailer that's on YouTube. So that's always good for me. And sometimes the trailers are different aspects of trailers. Well, they're not the real trailer. They're just this is what a film might look like, uh, which is always quirky. But most of the YouTube I I go to is how do I, you know, if I'm doing something on my Jeep, if I, I, I'm a beekeeper, so if I want to do something with my bees, very often, I'm not going to, like you, I'm not going to go to a book and read it and digest it. I'm going to go and see what real people are doing in a very visual way that can answer the question, how do I? And, and I suppose with The other aspect of what your business doing, when you think of, of advertising, is that what most people also are searching for when they're looking for a business? Most people, as you said there, you know, is this a problem worth solving? You mentioned earlier on. Most people are looking to buy a product or a service from Sorted because it's something that they've asked the question, how do I do this? How do I get from A to B and I get my dog in the back? Of a vehicle, and you know how do you know, we we're, we're all asking that question, aren't we? How do i is Is that the connection between the two as well, between what you do as a business and and that initial interest in YouTube?
1: I think there's some connection for sure. It's a very familiar platform for myself. It's a very familiar yeah. platform for for a lot of people. It's the world's second largest search engine only beaten out by Google search itself, and Google of yes. course owns YouTube. The uh what I tend to find, though, is too many people don't utilize it as a platform as much as they could, where there are a lot of people that okay. just simply go, I don't know how to do something. So I don't know how to do it. Like if somebody doesn't sit down and teach me it, then I don't know how to do it. If I didn't read a book that tells me how to do this, then I don't know how to do it. If my friend doesn't know how to do this, then I don't know how to do it. Uh, yeah. And then so many times I'll have conversations with people. And I might be like, Hey, uh, you have a problem that we can't help you solve right now. Maybe in the future we can help you, but right now we can't. You can go on YouTube right now and search for how to Google ads plus your industry. Chances are you will find somebody walking you through 15 minutes, 30 minutes, an hour, step-by-step how to create a basic ad campaign, not just for Google, but for your specific industry. And then if you have any sort of challenge, you don't know how to set up conversion tracking, okay, great. How to track form completions Google Ads, how to track phone calls, Google Ads. And I, I refer to people for a lot of resources because it's always so hard to recommend somebody sit down and uh, read an entire book when there's you know one yeah. paragraph in the entire book that will solve their problem, or to buy a, a $500 or $5,000 course in hopes that that'll be what solves their problem. Well, I'm a big proponent of uh, of DIY, especially at first, before you hire somebody to help you with something, you sure. need to understand, you know, establish some sort of baseline. And for a lot of things, YouTube is that great first stepping stone because there's just a, an infinite amount of content on an infinite amount of topics. And what's also yeah. really, really powerful is, uh, and if you don't want to screw up your own algorithm, then you know, create a different account, uh, but yeah. create a different Gmail account and just start watching business related content make a different account start watching like marking related content the okay. youtube algorithm is built to show you the types of content you're interested in and it flips really quickly so if you're watching something about business and you start watching something about beekeeping all of a sudden all your recommendations are beekeeping you're like oh man where did all that Absolutely. business stuff go yeah, so if yeah. you keep that on two different accounts it, it keeps the algorithm a little bit more yeah, cleaner you don't forget stuff as easily but you'll start finding content creators you've never heard of that might that you might not even like that content creator they might just have one good video <laughs> and yeah, that's the yeah. video that you get recommended yeah. uh, so the algorithm is built to help you find more of the stuff that you're looking for
0: yeah, uh, and uh, and I think you've you've mentioned something very important there that, you know, the what you're looking for and the the solutions that you find uh, and you know turning clicks into cash is only as good as the questions you ask. And like you say, once you've got that baseline, that's when you need to reach out to somebody who actually doesn't just have the better answers, but also they understand the better questions that you as a business need to be asking. Because very often. We don't know what we need to ask, which is why we never get the results that we can get on our own. We need to come someone like yourself because you've got not just the answers, but actually you understand the questions as well, don't you? So that's that's really important, which leads me on to the uh, question of where do people find out more about you and how you help service and software as a service businesses scale by turning clicks to cash? Where, Where can we go to find out more about you and what you do?
1: Yeah, of course. The easiest place to find us would be at cometfuel.com.
0: Okay. Cometfuel.com. Perfect. And if I'm going to ask a, a question, this is it's going to be an interesting one, because usually I ask people, if you're going to have your dream tea, and you mentioned traveling with your loose leaf tea, if you're going to have your dream tea uh, in a dream location, um, I normally ask people what kind of book that they... Uh, read but so uh, I'm going to ask you if you're going to have that 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 tea in a dream location who would be your hero youtuber who would be the person that you follow uh, and watch the most or aspire to uh, know the most on there who would who would the youtuber be that you put in front of you drinking that tea
1: Hmm, that's an interesting question Uh, especially because I'm fairly agnostic on the person is i I could care less about the person i'm interested in the quality of the content Uh, and and not to say anything bad about any individual person but i think everybody has good ideas everybody has bad ideas Uh, and so depending on what i'm looking at depends on who i'm willing to have a conversation with Uh, that being said there are there are some creators that I'll pay attention to for a bit, then stop paying attention to depending on what I'm in the mood for. Uh, Someone who comes top of mind is a a guy who I think is very interesting in how his business has developed is a a guy named Alex Hermozzi, who's been really, really blowing up recently. Uh, I I thought it was very interesting because I was familiar with the, the first business that he ever launched. And then, uh, which was called Jim uh, Launch. Well, he had other businesses before them, but the first yeah. that I was aware of. And then seeing how he, he now owns acquisition.com, which at least allegedly, I think, does like 125 million a year or something like that. And uh, seeing uh, how he has grown from what most people call like, oh, like an internet guru, though I don't think he'd like that term. I think that's no. you know, what a lot of people consider it, uh, to uh, what he's doing now. And very, very, very few people in the space uh, have ever really bridged that gap between almost like a internet type person, which has a lot of uh, bad connotations around it. We get like a lot of people look at our business yeah. and go, ah, oh, you know. The industry that you're in—it's full of scams. It's full of uh, bad people. Yeah. You know, it kind of comes with the work, I suppose. Uh, and, and for him to make that transition, I think it's very, uh, very interesting. Okay,
0: fantastic. Good answer. Good answer. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna, because of what you've said, I'm gonna uh, just ask you if you were gonna ask him one question. Then, what would be a question you would love to ask him? Because he's obviously gone through a transformation, and we love people that mm-hmm. have gone through a transformation, like you say, and made that that bridge. Uh, but usually there's something we long to ask that that kind of person. You know, what what question would you ask him when you're sat, sipping your 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 tea? Oh, this
1: is taxing mm. him listening That's now. <laughs> Yeah. I feel like my answer to this question is going to depend on when you ask me. Uh, I think at the moment, something that I have found very interesting that I've had a, that I've asked a lot of different uh, business owners who are you know, lar- much larger to much smaller than me is, and I don't think I've ever gotten an answer that I've been happy with is how do you, it's very easy to quantify a business. I talk about quantifying your business all the day, all, yeah. all the time, tracking data, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, It's a lot harder to qualify your business. And what I mean by that is you could have all the metrics that you want going in the right direction. Revenue can be going up, you can be super profitable, uh, you could be generating more business, you can be retaining people for a long time. Uh, but how do, you, how do you ensure that you're doing, I guess, quality work that you're doing the right thing, especially when you're Mm. working with clients who often don't understand the work that you're doing, they can't qualify, they don't know what's good or bad, they know, they might know the end result, but they don't necessarily look at that and go, this is good work, this is bad work, we, uh, we talk to people in a way that is respectable enough, how do you measure that quality? You know, there's NPS and Net Promoter Score and all these other sort of things that maybe work kind of don't, but being able to sit down and go, I am I feel as though that our business is doing the right thing, is doing a good thing. It's really easy when you're small and you have eyes on everything that you're doing. But now that I'm getting to the point where there are people doing things that I'm not even involved in, we have people reaching out to other uh, prospective clients that I'm not even involved in the messaging anymore. And it's like, man, What happens if I wake up one day and go, we've made a wrong turn? How will I notice that? Will I notice that? Or is that something that you don't have to concern yourself with?
0: Yeah, yeah, I I think that's a great question. And listeners, I'll just share one other quick thing to emphasize. Uh, My first ever accountant was a great accountant. You know, did my bookkeeping, did my accounts, did a really good job. His business grew from just two or three of them to 20, 30 of them in an office and The problem this guy made is that he thought everybody else was delivering the service exactly the same as him. And the one thing he would never do was accept that that wasn't the case. And he'd lost that qualification of his business. Completely agree. Uh, So his business, yeah, you look, he was more profitable. He'd grown in team, in revenue, but actually was it the same qualification of what it was then to what it was now and it clearly wasn't and he lost probably 50 percent of his clients within the next two years because of that so yeah great great question and uh yeah i don't think there's a right or wrong answer but certainly we can go on that holy grail um (laughs) journey can't we trying to find it you you've been a great guest jared you've given us so much um if you could give the listeners one tip to take away from today, one one quick tip that they can do in the week ahead, uh, other than what you said about YouTube and having those different accounts, because I think you gave us a couple of great tips for that. What, what would be something in your area of expertise that you'd like to give us a tip to the listeners before we finish?
1: Yeah, what I always tell everybody, and this kind of encompasses everything I can talk about, is... Uh, track everything and make data informed decisions, which I kind of mentioned earlier. Mm-hmm. But when I say track everything, I don't necessarily mean spend your own, you know, the next four years of your life you know, trying to find every sort of like data point. But you're gonna get to a point where you're like, man, I have a question about my business. But if I've never tracked the answer, I'm starting off day zero. And this can yeah. be a, a large challenge in a lot of different ways, such as you might, as your the marketing channels in your business grows, you might start asking questions like, what is our cost per lead or what is our CAC against all these different marketing channels? Or what salespeople in our team do better at closing against different marketing channels? Because different marketing channels require different sales processes. And uh, you know minor or major changes. And if you've never really tracked that, what salesperson got assigned to what lead and what lead came in from what source, you're now tracking that from day one with nothing and so just having hmm. just a, a very simple things you can do is just when somebody fills out a form uh, track what source it came through have some some sort of tab in your CRM to go these are the ones that we don't know where they came from how can we close that gap to make that that percentage of unknowns as small as possible. And so two years from now, when you have a question, those two or three things that you started tracking uh, will allow you to start tracking hundreds of other data points because you're just mixing those three or four things together in different ways. uh, And you're like, wow, now I can answer this question. And then data informed, not data driven. Uh, Data driven does not tell you the story. Data driven can make you make really bad decisions, such as we're we're manufacturing a car and we need to make it cheaper. The data-driven decision is we can remove this component and that'll that'll make our cars cheaper. Whoops, now our, all of our cars explode when you turn them on. But you made the yeah. right data-driven decision, but you didn't take the data-informed decision to go, okay, what happens? What are the implications? What is the story behind the decision that we're making? How will this affect the perception of our customers to us? How will this affect the quality of our product? Uh, and is this decision, this data-driven decision, actually going to reach our end goal in a way that we will be satisfied with and yeah. your car's exploding probably not the answer
0: no 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 and there has been a few of those so uh, yeah 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 and, and thanks <laughs> for giving us that explanation as well and yeah great great tip to take away and I'm sure listeners you need to do something with that so thanks Jared you've been an absolute star and thanks for being such a great guest
1: yeah thanks so much for having me
0: listeners all you need to do now is leave a review tell us what you thought of this uh, subscribe tell us what you did with what Jared has shared with you today. Tell us the difference that it made. Tell us what you have done that has been a data-informed decision and the difference that's made. And of course, reach out to the website as well, cometfuel.com. I think that's right, Jared, is it?
1: Yes, it is. Perfect.
0: So so go there, check out what uh, Jared and the team are doing and what the business is doing. And who knows, perhaps you can turn your business from 40 million plus into 250 million plus Uh, using his services as well. And as always, I look forward to having you all on the next podcast. Bye for now. Thank you for listening. Don't forget, if you'd like any help and support with your business, do get in touch with Simon. And to discover what your business needs you to fix next, visit www.sterlingcoaching.fixthisnext.com. Please do subscribe so you don't miss the next episode. And Simon would love you to rate and review the show too. Thank you.